and welcome to The Common Room, the show where the crew gets to hang out and talk all things Dungeons and Doctorates, as well as answering questions from you, the audience. I'm your host, Ross Bolch, and joining me this week, we have our Game Master, Benjamin Keenan. Hello. Voice of the delightful Meredith Meadowlark, Dr. Joanna Howes. Hello. And of course, the voice of the mysteriously aloof potential, Kate O'Sullivan. Yay, we're back. I was going to say, thank you very much for just casually dropping my title in there. I feel like in light of recent news events, it's very poignant. So thank you very much. But folks, please beware, this episode of The Common Room contains spoilers for episodes right through to timely meetings. And I just want to start by saying a huge thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, You folks have been great and we've made friends all over the world already, which is awesome. Thank you so much. We're such nerds for this. Like, it's amazing. We're like, yeah, yeah it's real people are listening from far yeah. places. <laughs> Somebody, one of our fans sent me recipes for Swiss biscuits and, and Austrian biscuits, and I'm so what's, happy. What? I'm going to try them. It was Johanna. And I'm it was Johanna, yeah. One of the fans wanted me to send them a PDF copy of the Kobold variant as a PDF. <gasps> yes. Oh, as you say, Ben, didn't you get also requested that someone wanted to run a one-shot set in Alder yes. World? Yes, a one-shot in Ferramusters, yeah. Thanks, Matthew, yeah. we love you. That was really cool. Like, we, so we just cool. really appreciate it. Um, every time you folks interact with us, um, it's really awesome, and we really enjoy it. Um, just to know that you're enjoying the show and, like, what your favorite things are and things that you want to see happen in the world, it's really cool. And even if it's just talking about random science and pop culture stuff, we are so in. But um, let's get on to the, the, the thrust of the show, which is talking about the show that we also make. Um, and we'll start with next steps. So last time in on the common room, we got up to the end of the, the library arc. Of course, we fought ourselves a golem and a tabaxi who kidnapped some of our favorite people. And now, obviously, we have the aftermath of that. And super fan Paul, who... Sent in a super loads fan of questions. is accurate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, I really appreciate it actually because it's it's a lot of material for the show and it's it's really cool. Um, he wants to ask the two of us, Ben, how fleshed out is monster battles and how much planning went into that battle that Harold <laughs> won. And I'm going to let you start, Ben, because I I know my half uh, <laughs> pretty well. Um, monster battles is inspired by numerous uh, card games that I have been involved with um, primarily Magic the Gathering and Yu-Gi-Oh and much like the early issues of of the Yu-Gi-Oh manga series most of what Ross and I did was improv in terms of rules we just kind of riffed on stuff that we knew about how those games kind of work so it's not particularly fleshed out no I mean so basically we are such huge nerds that we just know an incalculable number of magic cards um you know like my my uh, my dragon was based off of the very famous Shivan dragon um mm-hmm. first published in alpha edition I believe literally one of the first dragons in magic uh, and it has the fry breathing ability famously and um fog of war is also a very famous card from magic uh and in terms of who was going to win i i I imagine ben you had an idea in your head who would win i just kept saying words until it was over essentially (laughs) yeah so spoilers for the future monster battles will return and i will say at at some point i'm probably planning on um me and ben probably together may may design like some basic rules for the game and maybe maybe create like a starter type deck that you can maybe purchase like just for fun but we'll see this episode really marks the beginning of many of our characters research journey proper at this point um how much work Mm -hmm. on your end went into each thesis and i'm kind of curious how much work you the players or as the players um put into our own ideas for for how that would go so all of the the thesis research work is as a lot of PhDs at this stage, very kind of up in the air. They are areas of interest without a specific question, which is a lot of what happened with early PhD work is working out, yeah, just working out like what your question's going to be. What are you going to look at? And so a lot of that is still very open for interpretation, but it works for me because it leads lots of um, avenues of, of conversation and thought. Yeah, I know for me, I certainly don't have like a thesis in mind like you know originally you know harold was interested in how these constellations that he 
draws upon to do magic sort of enable him to have these powers, but then got really captured by, uh, like, you know, Kegstone's enthusiasm for these planets. And I guess we'll talk about that a bit later because I, I want to get into that process later on. But um, how about you folks? Did you have any, like, solid ideas for your thesis in mind going into these supervisor meetings? Um, I mean, I like the idea of, like, I kind of took, given that Conjuration is is a school, quote unquote, anyway, I was like, okay, well, what can I line it up with in the real scientific world? And, like, what are you, what are you doing that could theoretically translate across? So... Um, pulling something out of nothing, you know, you, matter cannot be created nor destroyed is kind of a base principle that all of us have come across at different points. And so I was kind of like, okay, well, let's start there and then see where we go and what, what way we can take that. I've been doing a lot of reading recently about um, the history of women in science um, and how underrepresented they are. Um, in particular, oh, I kind of don't want to say because I might actually end up doing something about it. And yeah, on a YouTube channel at some point. Stay tuned. Nice. I've been having it on my mind for a very long time. Um, yeah, so I wanted to, to talk about toponymy, um, about, you know, the naming of things and how important it is to be naming things properly and um, have representation, I guess. And in this world, um, that kind of came out as representation of halflings in the history of artificing. <laughs> so, yeah, um, but I think it's, it's quite interesting because... Um, this is one of those situations I think that a lot of research has come up against and I know a lot of my friends have and I have a lot as well where I have a very strong idea of what I want to do but my supervisor is kind of pushing me in another direction so in the episode mm -hmm. like she talks about you know hey we need to be thinking about you know like building things for halflings and stuff and I'm like yes I get that but like this is also important so it's also kind of having that sort of real world conversation I guess with with your supervisor, people who might know better, but also learning how to stand your ground. It's a big lesson, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And a lot of yeah. people never get there either and end up really hating exactly. their PhD. So, yeah. Well, yes. speaking of that then, um, you know, we've we've all met our, uh, our supervisors multiple times now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, some of us a few times, some of us a couple. Um, you know, after these repeat meetings, have anyone's opinions of their supervisors changed or evolved since that, the first time we met them? Not really, but that's more because I think we don't know a lot about my supervisor really yet, and he's not a super pushy person in terms of himself. So I, I yeah. think I kind of am sitting where I thought I would be, but I also, you know, bearing in mind that I have some inclination about who Ben based my supervisor off of, um, <laughs> that's perhaps less surprising. Well, it'll be interesting to see how this relationship evolves in the future, I think, as well. Because obviously, mm. I feel like Harold's had the most positive interactions so far. I and mean, we'll get He's into that the later. Most because, time. Yeah, you know, it's like he, he got to spend a lot of time with uh, his supervisor, which a lot of PhD students never get um, yeah. in some ways. So, you know, that was interesting as well. So. I mean, let's move on. Let's move on to like probably my favorite arc so far, um, of course. Um, and we'll start off <laughs> with Sangrin Soiree. And Paul had a question for Joe. Um, what is the yes. biggest or fanciest party that Meredith would have been to in her life? And what did she make of the party at Harold's family home? I reckon probably one of the biggest ones she would have been to is like a festival kind of thing. Immediately in my head, like a Lord of the Rings style kind of thing pops into my mind. Yeah, like Bilbo's birthday kind of thing, right? I know it's cliche, but I'm a massive Lord of the Rings fan, so eh, we'll roll with mm -hmm. it. Yeah, so that kind of thing where it's more like family fun, you know, families getting together, community getting together. So I'd imagine she's been to a very big one, but like it's all very, you know, casual. Big in a, in a scale sense rather yeah, than big in yeah, a yeah. like intense yeah. and lots of people mm -hmm. close together sense, yeah. Whereas, but I think having said that, Meredith is pretty good at being a bit of a chameleon. Like she kind of gets in there and this is where she's not like me. <laughs> um, she kind of is good at getting in there and just, you know, figuring things out and rolling with the punches and going, okay, cool. This is just the way it is now. All right, let's, let's move on to the next thing. <laughs> Paul also wanted to know, um, did it take a while to make Howard's family and did you base it off of anything? Uh, what extra things can you tell us about them? We don't already know. I think I've gone through this in the first episode. I don't really have a personal experience with like wealth and nobility. Um, in fact, I have the opposite experience, really. 
Um, and so in a lot of ways, this family is almost the, is a, is a very earnest take on what is probably a parody of that life in my head. You know, it's a sort of a, it's a, like an honest take on that parody. Um, and really the family came from trying to place my character more than the other way around. Like my character is in a certain place in their life and I'd already decided they were noble born sort of city based. And really in order to get to where they were, he needed that family. Like that family had to exist to allow him to already have had a bit of a journey before we started to play. And that's where like having a lot of siblings, being the youngest, all of those things came out of that really. But in terms of extra things, um, obviously Faustus, I think, has a, a big role to play still in the story. Um, you know, we've been we've been setting him up as an important character. And, you know, I think Gregory and uh, Martha, too, are, you know, going to be sort of interesting characters because they they're, they're already like Ben, really, especially uh, provided them with a lot of depth. Uh, and real personalities and I think that is what we'll see going forward there's certainly some situations that could occur that would really mean Harold would need Martha's help and we've already seen that Harold still requires Gregory on occasion so I think we'll see some more from them in the future and I think that will be pretty interesting I am curious what everyone else thought about Harold's family I guess Ben from your point of view the interactions that occurred between the characters but from Joe and Kate's point of view you know, maybe what you thought of Howard's family and maybe what your characters thought after the events of the party. So I'll, I'll start by saying that Ross handed me one page of <laughs> notes on his... Like, here is my entire family and one page of notes. Here is name, here is where they are in the family, and then, like, not even a sentence worth of detail about them. And I went, Yeah, it Great. was basically, this is the rough relationship they have. It was kind of like a, a brief mm-hmm. statement on, like, they get along well these two probably don't get along well you know this is the kind of like vague kind of person they might be but ben really did most of the the fleshing out which i'm kind of was nice because it was nice for me to sort of um discover that along the way in this episode too yeah it was it was good fun and if you would like to see any of that uh, additional information, you can go to dndoctorates.com and look up the character names because Yay. they are all slowly being fleshed out as we learn more about them in game. Um, I think Potentia was like, I mean, Potentia from a character perspective did not want to walk into a noble bond household because she like was terrified of the parents. Um, and in fact, arguably your elder brother as well uh, when she met him because he very much took after that um, that style of family. Um, mm. I have been in situations with overbearing parents and uh, not necessarily, like, to be clear, not necessarily my parents, but yeah. that, like, idea of the, like, overbearing upper-class people. I, I know mm. people like that. And so I kind of placed her opinion of them in a very specific place based on what she's trying to hide. And I will also be very clear... We have touched the I- the tip of the iceberg in that regard. We have not given you everything potentially related at this point. Um, so I think she was sort of glad to find a friend in Martha in that respect. Like Martha, it mm. doesn't seem like the rest of the family. Uh, she's not met Gregory it was, properly ever. It was fun ever. Being, being Harold's sister. It was fun being like, where did you put my belt? What about you, Joe, and or as Meredith? I mean, what, what were your opinions? Yeah, Meredith plays her cards pretty close to her chest. I think it's one of those things where she like files that information away for later, but then is kind of like, well, you seem all right, and then moves on. <laughs> mm. Meredith, like her, her character seems like an open book, but there's full of all these like additional secret layers. Yes. Well, I mean, let's talk a bit about Potentia at the party then, because obviously Potentia mm. is very uncomfortable but i'm curious how much of this is due to like a general unease with social situations in a more global sense unease with things you know like tradition and ceremony and then obviously that fear of her identity being revealed and what that might entail later on i'd sort of break that up i guess i think she coming from a noble background is used to a certain type of party that probably has it's probably even more formal than what we saw at Harold's parents' house. So she's rolling and going, oh God, I know what I have to do if it's that level of formal. If it's more, I don't know what to do. If it's less, I don't really know what to do. Um, so he's, he's kind of trying to do the, what do I do? How do I do this? How do I make sure that if I am quote unquote found out that I haven't done anything that's going to get like me or other people into 
quote unquote trouble. Um, mm. and I mean, add a solid dose of social awkwardness on top of all of that, and you know, the anxiety level goes through the ceiling. She's not gonna, she's never gonna cope with that uh, particularly well. Um, and you kind of see that when she has a bit of a brain, like doesn't say stuff to Harold's dad and just tries to leave. Like she, mm-hmm. she can't uh, do some things. And I'm, uh, I mean, she, she has a moment on the dance floor with Harold where she just goes, nope, 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 nope. I, I can't, I can't do this right now. I need to find a quiet place and then ends up running into Harold's dad, which does not exactly make the situation any better. But nope, like, nope, nope. yeah. Well, I think that was an interesting moment, too, because like at that point, um, you know, I think from Harold's point of view, he kind of understood, you know, he even couched his question with the fact that he was like, look, I know this might not be the time, but I am open to it. But, I, you know, I think it was what happened after that, that kind of uh, maybe I don't know whether the word is upset or offended Harold, but he didn't enjoy being sort of probed um, with with like a mind message. Yeah, because to him that's a conversation you have in person. I think it wasn't even about necessarily the the the, the message, but the fact that it it wasn't a proper face to face conversation. And I think in that moment he he was a bit hurt that he felt he wasn't worth that conversation. I think maybe. Yeah. Whereas I don't know that that's at all the perspective that she did it from. Like no. But I mean that's the thing, yeah. right? If you don't communicate, um, you don't always understand someone's intentions. Let's roll the the tape back a little bit to um, Nikolai's entrance, because that was an interesting moment for me, because I think, and and I'm actually curious, Ben, how quickly you expected us to figure it out, this aspect of him. But, you know, revealing Nikolai's full nature is probably for us the first character who potentially could be a major threat. Like anyone Mm -hmm. who plays D&D knows that um, you know, from an insider baseball point of view, the the challenge rating of a vampire is, I mean, they ha- they are a legendary creature. They are not easy to to get rid of. Um, you know, what was everyone's thoughts on on the reveal and and maybe what that means going forward in the game? I mean, first of all, I was not subtle with with his no. with 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 his his nature. Um, but I will say that Nikolai has layers to him. And what he what he is and who he is aren't always the things that line up. Well, let's let's Joe. Um, I guess let's talk to you about the blessing that you received because this this was a very oh, cool yeah. and curious moment for me. And I, I don't know how much you've thought about this since, but I'm kind of curious if Ben knows something about your backstory that we don't. And feel free not to give away the game here but i'm curious if in in receiving this blessing there is someone in your past who you know meredith might have in mind like you don't have to necessarily reveal who it is but i'm curious if there is someone i really really wish i could be like super candid and like i'm not candid but like cunning and you'll just have to wait and find out because i also need to find out because i i don't know it's in the back of my brain though and i've got it on my character sheet that it's a thing but I haven't really had to think about who she could use that for or when it might be appropriate to use it. Well, it's kind of interesting, though, because yeah. now there's like you have this flexibility um, yeah. in terms of story. And it's kind of nice because it gives away that like we don't we haven't started this campaign with like everything worked out in our heads. Like yeah. we still message Ben with like, oh, by the way, I imagine this happened in my character's past or <laughs> yeah, basically they have this character trait. Um, I think literally halfway through last week, I was like, hey, Ben, this is my family's motto, you know, and I don't even mm. know if it'll be relevant. No, it. I, I think I have a very different approach to playing Meredith as you guys do. And I think it's kind of worked out interesting, like weirdly quite well, which is good. Mm. Because, you know, um, <laughs> but I don't plan nearly as much as I, I think as, as what um, Ross and Kate do. Um, but I think because of the nature of Meredith's character, I think that actually works out quite well. Like you kind of don't really know what she's going to do. And I don't know what she's going to do. And it's kind of fun. Yeah, there are, um, there are some times that I'm like, hey, this is a really interesting idea. And I message Joe like, hey, what if we work this into your backstory? And because her yeah. backstory is so empty of, of detail, <laughs> it's like, yeah, let's do that. And Basically, it just kind of is now we, a thing. We worked out like two weeks ago, I think, what her undergrad was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess the other thing, like the thing to know for sort of peek behind the curtain is that like... Uh, Ross and Ben probably live in this world a lot more than even Joe and I do because yeah. you guys edit and master the podcast. Yes. So you kind of have it yeah, yeah, around yeah. you a lot. 
where and I kind of have it around a bit because I'm running the social media stuff of mm-hmm. it and bouncing ideas backwards and forwards with different people. Mm-hmm. But so it probably means that we are it's not so much that we're planning extra stuff, it's that we're thinking about it. Yeah. A lot because yeah. of the mm. nature of doing all this. I, I think uh, um, Kate, yeah. Kate slash Potentia had a lot of front loaded thinking about this show yeah. with your multiple page backstory that you provided to me. Everybody plays very differently. And like some people um, love putting time into backstory. And I don't know, like normally I'm that kind of person, but for some reason Meredith hasn't really like inspired that kind of thing. I think I know who she is and how she operates, but I don't know. It's kind of been fun just like having ideas and thinking things through as stuff happens in the world, you know? Hey, thanks for listening to The Common Room. If you have questions for the crew, you can find out how to submit them as well as a host of other information at dndoctorates.com. That's dndoctorates.com. If you've been enjoying Dungeons & Doctorates, please rate and review the show as well as telling a friend. It really helps. So I'm kind of like the the big, the big reveal in Illuminations and one of the reasons the episode is called that, um, as well as the beads obviously sort of glowing in the the ceremony is that we finally get to, after quite a few episodes, uh, learn Potentia's name. Um, Mm -hmm. So I guess at first talking to everyone but Kate, like what what did you all feel about that reveal at the time? Because Ben, of course, you knew this was coming. So you got to Mm -hmm. observe, like what was your feeling observing that event and forcing it in a Um, way, you know, like be obviously being the catalyst of uh, of events. Potentia is is a slippery character to nail down to a conversation, apparently. Are you telling me that people who don't want to say something will actively just come out and say the thing Mm -hmm. that you want them to say? What I'm, I'm, I'm saying is like, I was, as the person who knew the information, like, I don't know if I can actually get Potentia to say this. I was, like, there, was, there was a moment of concern like I don't know if I can get this moment yeah I mean I think it was interesting for me because in my head I built up some something darker you know that that maybe was sort of more of a like maybe like the motivation was more shame or or like like real fear but obviously it turns out that like it's really about individuality I think is what we might find it eventually comes down to at least at least for Harold that's probably what he's thinking and he can appreciate that of course being someone who is desperate to sort of be seen as someone extra from his sort of legacy um what do they call those families like the ones that are just like i don't know yeah like like legacy families i think yeah old family Um, old money yeah you know old money yeah and he's kind of desperate to avoid that um and of course, Meredith still doesn't know potential. I was going to say, nope. I like when you were asking us about, you know, what we thought. I was like, can I say Meredith actually doesn't know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. like the audience knows because Potentia is confronted by Harold's father. Yeah, and Harold only knows because of the conversation they have later on. Mm-hmm. But Meredith still Meredith doesn't know. Does not know. And I, I don't want to comment on how. I felt as a player because I think that's going to be very similar to how Meredith is going to feel. So I am mm. saying I, nothing. I will. I will say that, um, like, much as I like, it's killing me not to have told Meredith as a player. Yeah. Um, I I have said to I think I said it to Ben that uh, potential wouldn't have told Meredith. Like, the, the, no. there's there's a reason there's reasons why, and yeah, it's uh, you know. I can't feel real it, sucky. Right? <laughs> like I can't feel no, real sucky. Fine. I'm sorry, Meredith. I love you, but uh, <laughs> I also love you, Joe. But like you know, <laughs> I can't. Yeah, she. This she's is the kind not of stuff that. that's going to create yeah. very interesting character dynamics in the future. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to you, Kate. Then. So now that Potentia's name has been yes. revealed, um, and this question comes from Paul, um, mm-hmm. what insight can you give us about it, and what kind of weight does the name part of Trina carry within the world, and how long have has potentially been trying to hide this name from the rest of the world essentially because obviously you've had this gap decade um you know uh some of that i will tell you some of that i won't is basically how that goes uh i think she has probably had times where she has kept that from people for a long time i don't know that that is necessarily the easiest thing to do at home so like you know that's that's a whole different kettle of fish uh as to what it means in the world, uh, I've had more conversations with Ben about this. Ben probably has more of an inclination about that than I per se can tell you. Um, but I think for her, it's 
it's a case of like for her to hide something like that is not against anyone else. I think you're absolutely right, Ross, that it's an individual choice. Well, let's move on from that, because obviously uh, soon after that, uh, the party is kind of over, at least for potential Harold and Meredith, like the, the party runs its course. But then on their way to the next party, um, there are some complications, um, a ghost appears and during the fight in fact we we end the episode mid-fight um harold is knocked unconscious and i don't know how much uh, the other players took note of this but this is actually the first time a player's character becomes unconscious yep. yeah. and potentially had to make a death saving throw so mm-hmm. i'm wondering how that felt um for you folks and if it changed the way that you play because i know for me i mean i've played enough D that i'm like oh I'll probably be revived, you know, it's fine. We have someone who has healing word, which is very powerful when someone's unconscious because you don't have to touch them, which is great. Um, yes. And, and, I, I, and as long as I don't get like crit hit while I'm down, I've got a good chance of, you know, being stabilized. But obviously that affected Harold a lot more because all of a sudden he he realizes the, the cost of adventuring, I think. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see in the next uh episode or so how that starts to affect his his psyche but i'm curious how it affected um you, you know you as players and also maybe and um i don't know maybe the way you you gm ben i mean i don't know how you know how your difficulty rating maybe sort of factors into things but also how it affected the characters as well i'd be curious to see how to know how joe felt about this because this is like the first time you've probably encountered this where the the rest of us have played yeah no it's the first time i'd encountered it as a player but as a listener to podcasts i knew Mm. the mechanics so i wasn't really i mean it was i like jumped into heal bot mode and was like heal all the things healing word do it yeah i think for me it affected potential more than it affected kate the player um but that fight in particular was more to do introducing listeners and players to the mechanics and difficulties in fighting ghosts. Yeah. Because if players had never encountered a ghost before, to then throw a big ghost boss at them later, Mm. it's unfair because they haven't experienced how those things work. And I mean, I think the fact is, is that even as players, as much as you don't really want to admit it, like you always want there to be a chance that someone could die because otherwise... you might as well not even have combat, right? Well, luckily Harold didn't die. And um, eventually we all got to go to another party straight after what we'd been to. A lot of social relationships are revealed or forged at the party. Um, Were there any standouts? Meredith's Meredith's favorite new friend. All right. I mean, let's let's talk about let's talk about (laughs) Oldwin first. Then I mean, Meredith uh, (laughs) at the time. Um, I, I feel like there is a difference between obviously what Joe noticed and what Meredith mm-hmm. noticed. Would that be fair? Uh, yes, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just a tiny bit. Although, having said that, like Meredith is pretty good at picking up on these things. I think she was just kind of willfully ignoring it, potentially. I mean, I think for me, obviously, um, Harold uh, is popular with like a very particular clique of people in this, like the, the adventurers society appreciation um, society yeah um and obviously oh yeah. is being set up as someone who obviously is pretty keen on harold um and whether whether harold reciprocates that interest or not i think is still to be determined um at least I in think harold just likes the attention i think well yeah i mean he is he's a storyteller isn't he at the end of the day um and i think for him that was his primary motivation in in sort of interacting with them at least previously and i think potentia has probably the most interesting interaction of the night um you know uh why don't you tell us about that which one which one are you talking about well i mean it's a question about which ones are standouts um you tell us but which for, ones but this is the thing, for, for, for me for me like um i mean did i want to punch raymond in the face yes <laughs> yes we i did, did. Yeah, like, we all did. Everyone was just like, God oh, achieved. I want to punch yeah. him. Um, yep. That's why I was like, I'm not looking at you. Leave me alone. Uh, and then to use Nora as a get out of jail free card, which was like, yes, but also, God damn it, Ben, no, why? <laughs> Can't you just have a friend that isn't in the party? Uh. <laughs> so we got to do some good old fashioned ghost busting. Um, and probably what was the most involved fight of the podcast so far. Yeah, and I'm kind really of cool. curious. Yeah, well, that, that's what kind of my question. Like, how mm. did you folks find the combat 
versus the simultaneous like puzzle solving aspect of that encounter. That reminded me very much of like old school World of Warcraft back before like Wowhead and things were a thing where you could just look up mechanics. <laughs> mm. um, you'd have to like figure it out on your, by yourself with your raid party. Um, yeah, no, it was really good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed having that like extra level of, of challenge in there as well. It's like, oh, this isn't working. What do we need to do? Oh, I'm pretty sure we need to do this. Um, but how do I tell my party without actually being able to tell people this is what I think because I'm playing a character? And, and yeah, it was really cool. I mean, I'm curious, Ben, I mean, during that entire fight, how much were you restraining yourself from dropping the line, I ain't afraid of no ghosts? <laughs> uh, I had to hold myself back so hard for uh, so many. I made a reference to Destiny in the uh, with the Bonin um, cameo. Yep. Mm-hmm. Moon, like, library's haunted. Um, but like i was like i'm I'm not gonna say ghostbusting i'm going to have everything here that is ghostbusters (laughs) but not say it yeah and i think that's the nice thing though isn't it with homebrew world you do get to play around with things that you enjoy um and and sort of want to pay homage to um i think which is what uh, tarantino would say isn't it he likes to say homage um and i think that's a good thing you know it's what makes playing these games fun at the end of the day and then obviously we succeed, which is nice, you know, and, and, and I think that's kind of, I think that second shared near-death experience kind of brings things into focus for Harold. And then Harold and potentially get to have this really a breakthrough in their friendship at this point. Um, I mean, I know for, for me as, as a player playing Harold, like it was good to sort of get that moment because obviously Harold up until that point is very antagonistic to potential and in what he perceives as a very friendly way although he probably should have enough wisdom to realize that maybe their potential doesn't always take it that way but i think that you know how sometimes very wise perceptive people can have an intentional blind spot because of their own sort of personal enjoyment of a situation like Mm -hmm. harold's definitely one of those kinds of people where he should know better but is purposefully just kind of letting those thoughts just sort of flick off of like bounce off at least up until that moment i think i think i mean i i know i kate the player and potentially technically know that the first time she refers to the three of them as friends is in that episode uh up until that point she hasn't said that uh, not in any of the conversations she's had with the people in her office, not in any of the conversations she's had with anyone. Um, and that is that she, that she says that to Haldora is a thing. Um, and I think she takes the risk because she can, and it's not actually that big a risk to be like, I don't want to walk home by myself in part to see what he'll do because he could very easily have just been like, eh, bye. <laughs> like, cause yeah, she has no idea in that moment what to do. She's got no way to extend an olive branch other than to do that. Um, I mean, essentially, Meredith has already, like, done that and just been like, bye. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, Harold was standing with the Adventurers Appreciation Society people, and it is Potentia who says something that gets him to go, uh, I'm going to actually go off with her. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Much, Much to, to Katya's disdain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah. the, the, the interesting thing is, is that we don't, our characters, we as players actually did, which was nice, but our characters didn't get any time to breathe before the start of Tea and Travels, where we're on this, um, you know, adventure. Uh, you had like to... one one restful Sunday and then yeah. straight into it on the <laughs> Monday morning. Again. That's right. And, and and obviously we start with Tea and Travels. And it's interesting because this episode had some callbacks for us, which was nice. But also what I feel as a player it has to be some setups as well. So what are everyone's opinions on our little mafia run in after what we thought was a very successful and stealthy mission? Um, and also um, Baphnis we get to meet um, who you know, um, definitely seems to me like a very important character in this world's history. I mean, Potentia doesn't like elves who don't behave as they should. Mm-hmm. So that's all I have to say about the mafia elf. I'm like, yep. Meredith don't like, like you. Angus. Don't like you at all. See, it's funny. I think Harold's reaction was more like annoyance at what he thought was a successful sort of uh, yeah. caper. 
and and rather than the rudeness of the elves. But of course, Harold is the only one who's grown up in the city. So to him, he's probably used to seeing this kind of behavior. So for him, I think he was more affronted by his own ego, actually, in that moment than he was, you know, the behavior of these, um, you know, cashed up mafia types, I guess. But I was really intrigued by Baphnis, of course, because, you know, Ben instantly set up this mystery where he knew our names and he knew information about us. And obviously at first, you know, my first thought is like, well, that's a bit sinister. But then I think my opinion as a player and also Harold's opinion softened a lot during that interaction. And it'll be interesting to see where he pops up next and in in what capacity, I I think. I want to know more about Baphnis. Uh, I will say that my lips are sealed. Mm-hmm. Baphnis, Baphnis is a character that has appeared in multiple D&D games that I've run. Okay. Mm. He is a very well-traveled character, is known mostly to one of my other groups as just the T- Hey, it's the T-Wizard. He's here. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, right from the start, Drolag was not keen on this, this mission going ahead. Nope. And obviously, in hindsight... Um, it's pretty obvious why. But I'm, I'm curious, you know, like, honestly, honestly, at this point, how suspicious were any of you of Drolag? Not at all. I knew he was unhappy, but I didn't know he was going to try and kill us. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it interested me, the player, how much he was trying to dissuade Zinlaz from going up to the peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I couldn't, I could not and did not foresee why necessarily, if that makes sense. Like I was like, hmm, yes. something hinky here. I What's going on? I it was a on? family thing maybe, like, you know, or it was something to do with the bandits. Like he'd heard some, some stuff and was like being anxious um, cousin, right? Yeah. Like I definitely put it down to superstition initially yeah, than, yeah, than yeah. anything sinister necessarily. Right. Um. So, yeah, I think at that point, honestly, I wasn't especially suspicious of him. I was just like, Mm-mm. oh, I mean, that seems a bit OTT, but, you know, everyone's got their thing. Yeah, right. Like when we left him behind, I wasn't like, this is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. Hey, Ross here. If you've been enjoying the show, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast on your app of choice. While you're at it, why not recommend the show to a friend? It really helps us spread the word about the show. If you want to learn more about the world of Dungeons and Doctorates or submit questions and messages, check out dndoctorates.com. That's dndoctorates.com. And now, back to the action. Well, let's talk about the mountain because we do, I mean, obviously after some goblin uh, shenanigans, we do reach the mountain. And in a lot of ways, this is the first exotic location that uh, as players we get to go to. And I'm kind of curious what everyone's thoughts are on the mountain itself. Um, and it's its mechanics and it's... Uh, you know, uh, the machinations inside. I mean, as a player, I'm like, cool, sounds fun. Uh, as a character, I kind of had to play it as like, it mountain, I have to go inside. Don't like going inside. Low ceilings. Yeah. So I, I, I think my, like, I don't, didn't get to sort of play at the mountain as much. Like I, I was playing, I was obviously like not, 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 uh, not just sitting on my, on my, uh, on my hands, but I think my personal perspective of like, cool sounds like an interesting place versus the way Potentia has to look at the world are quite different mm. in that in that setting. I think uh, the characters who really thrived inside the mountain were, was Meredith and yep. Harold because they were kind yeah. of Meredith kind of in her element and Harold was like, oh, this is my supervisor's family and and like you know it's, you know, it's how families work so. Oh yeah, no, Meredith had a ball. It was great. Yeah, and like Harold obviously is fascinated by anything out of the ordinary um, and anything that would be an interesting story. So I know Harold really enjoyed the mountain itself and even just the idea that it it wanders around. Oh yeah, that was cool. Yeah, like, and and I really love these ideas because like obviously in in, in the library arc, we had the the books come to life, you know, as the contents of their own um, sort of well, content, I guess, right? You know, like the, the things that the subject of the books was became what they uh, animated as. And then we have this um, mountain that moves around. And like, th- these are like little details that really set apart the world from, you know, your normal dungeon running to like a world that has a bit of character. And I'm curious what your inspiration is for those kinds of like, you know, going beyond the norm of just like, because we could have just gone into a library and we could have come across any kind of foes along the way. But these are kind of the details that I think 
us as players and the audience can kind of grab onto. So like where, where do your ideas come from for those kind of like extra special versions of things that we know pretty well? Honestly, I don't know where they come from inside my brain. Mm-hmm. I, I, with the, the books and the creatures coming out of them, I thought, you know, what if this, this book came to life? What would that be like? And then, oh, what if there's a book about a monster? That monster comes out and that is now the, the, the creature. And so something that we sort of touched on but didn't really get into detail was that at the heart of those those creatures, there was one book that was yeah. kind of the, the focal point. And the other books around it were just kind of caught up in the magic, we'll say. And like I you know like the idea that words have power and you stick enough of them together in a library, that's power all dammed up together and it gets a chance to come out in any way it can. And, you know, a, a library full of books, some of them magical, some of them not, given chance to run amok is a perfect playground for a, a dungeon campaign. And then talking about a wandering mountain, I think that is something that exists in other literature as well, like a, a big structure that moves, like mortal engine cities that move. Um, was that like a, maybe an inspiration point for having a, a, a mount, a dwarven fortress inside a mount, a hollow mountain that the whole mountain moves and then plops down somewhere. After, after the sort of events of Brewing Bitterness, which was quite a tense episode, we actually get to observations, which was a really nice uh, change of pace in a lot of ways, because we finally get to do some serious like sciencing essentially in this episode. And uh, I'm kind of curious how you all felt about science's portrayal as a process. Yeah, I thought it was it was interesting where, you know, we found like there was a moment where Harold and Kegstone were getting excited over, you know, the discovery of the new thing. But then they were kind of like, hang on, we can't get too too excited because we've got to confirm it. And we've got to be like, you know, we need to get more data. We need to support our claims. We need to do this. Um, before we can talk about it and present it. And they were talking about where they might present it. And yeah, it was all just kind of like, yeah, that's more or less how it works. The difficulty is that science is such a potentially solitary activity. And so I think it actually mm. shows quite nicely that there's the two of them doing their thing. And the two of us are just like, doop, 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 going to have a chat. Yeah. Going to sit on the edge of a mountain. Yeah. You're going to have a nap. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, uh, it, it kind of does demonstrate that because I think that's something that people forget. While science actively encourages collaboration, there is a lot of solitary work that has mm-hmm. to get done in order for the collaborative stuff to happen. A lot of long hours in the laboratory yep. doing work. Yeah. Well, obviously, all of this is broken in the morning by the betrayal <laughs> of Drolag. Um, and we've already kind of established that none of us really saw it, it coming or, or even the reasons why. No. And then, of course, I think the thing that was actually more surprising is that the the golem shows up again so what what was everyone thinking at that moment because that's what i'm most curious about because i certainly you know you know internally i think both both as myself and harold at the exact same time i was like this bloody golem (laughs) you know uh i mean i think i knowing that they'd gotten away in the library i expected them to show up again um was it this situation that i expected them to show up in no but was I like, huh, what? I was like, well, huh, what to the why are they there, but not her huh, what to their being back. I'm like, all right, still, still don't know how to deal yeah. with you. Uh, I'm, I'm going to gonna use the, the stuff I can do again, I guess, because Shadow worked so brilliantly last time. <laughs> yeah. She's got two go-to spells at the moment. It's, it's <laughs> She has more, I promise. Listeners, she mm. has more. Just don't use them. <laughs> I mean, the fact is, though, despite all of that, the fight actually ended up coming down to a couple of lucky rolls. I mean, we heard the audio in the episode of Ben rolling exactly one below, you know, what would have really turned the fight into something different. I mean, did anyone here have any fears that the fight wasn't going to go in our favor, you know, at that point? I mean, I got covered in snow at one point, right? I wasn't feeling particularly confident. (laughs) And uh, I think you were deaf, like you the the explosion yep. deafened Meredith, which mm-hmm. I, I guess as someone like a bard would be especially scary, I guess. Yeah, it was pretty annoying. I think it's weird, like you, you kind of go, it, it definitely could have gone different ways. I can't, like this is, it's one of those things, right? Like we, it, it's been played now. I can't imagine it any other way because that's how it was. 
Um, and that's kind of one of the benefits of D&D and other yeah. tabletop RPGs is like you're telling a story collaboratively at the time and what happens happens and you roll with it lol um, mm. I think it, the story it, would be in a very different place if the golem had gotten to Kegstone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly as a player a lot more like willing because, you know, if things go bad, that means I have work to do as a player. And that's always interesting, I think. I was very happy with the surprise of Drolag's portrayal. Yeah. Because in I I was very happy with him as a character and he, he may still have parts to play if he's alive. I'm not saying mm-hmm. anything, but... If you look at Drolag as a character who is a is a sympathetic character, they do everything they can to not have to go through with this deal. Yeah, and I think that yeah, makes a can... good villain, right? And that kind of set things up nicely for timely meetings in a way too, because now we kind of, the group finally gets together to discuss all of these little threads that have been drawing them together. And I think for me, there was actually a bit of catharsis in in that group discussion, because obviously as players, we'd, we'd started putting these threads together, but our characters had never really said out loud, like, hey, how come all this stuff keeps happening to us? But in this episode, we kind of come up with a plan. And um, for me, I think that was quite cathartic. I'm kind of curious how uh, the other players kind of thought about that moment, um, you know, where we finally kind of come up with a plan, I think. I mean, potentially gets shoehorned by everyone into trying to do something she doesn't want to do so i don't know yeah. you know, again like she's not had the best best few days let's <laughs> let's let's be real but uh i think the meeting itself and the conversation about like what had happened was necessary mm-hmm. uh in her mind been a but lot i don't of different threads but i don't know how well she like how much how happy she was when she walked out of that chat if that makes sense like she mm. was 100 like this chat needs to happen but mm-hmm. she was also like, but I don't, what? No. Which is kind of the opposite of Harold, right? Because I think Harold is very happy to be part of like a Scooby gang, for want of a better word. And, <laughs> and sort of, you know, like Harold seeks adventure and mystery. So even though there's obviously this element of danger for him, it's like he's been drawn into this fascinating plot. And I think that's why he has so much enthusiasm in investigating all of this. Um and I think that'll probably bear out in future episodes as we start to explore, you know, having had this chat, what we then do about these events, I think. There's also some very interesting individual character stories that that's happened in that episode as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I did want to talk a little bit about poor Oldwyn. So, like, literally friend of everyone, Meredith, like, yeah. forgets poor Oldwyn's name. Um, even after Harold is, like, called him Ethan literally, like, two days ago. Yeah. So, like, what is the story behind that? Like, is that a character moment or is that a Joe moment? <laughs> that a Joe is moment. a Joe moment. <laughs> yeah, so I forgot the name. Um, I hadn't written it down. I usually take pretty good notes because I don't really like I find it very I was telling um, Ross this earlier but I find it very weird going back and listening to the podcast not that I don't like the sound of my own voice I spent a long time editing myself so I'm I like I that's fine but I don't know like once a podcast and a, a session is done for me it's like I put a bookmark in it I guess and I find it very strange mm. going back to listen to it um, and I don't know why that is for this particular thing. It's just the way that my brain works. Who knows? Um, so I take really good notes and I've got like maps I've drawn. I've got, um, you know, character names, how they're related to people, all of that kind of stuff. Like I'm constantly scribbling things um, so I can remember what's happened. But for some reason, I didn't write this guy's name down, yeah. <laughs> which is really and then we had this moment where Ben was like, okay, um, I'm not going to let you uh, try and, you know, because I was like... No, I, I, gave, I gave you a role. Yeah, you gave me a role and I failed the role. But I was like, but Meredith, would yeah. you remember? <laughs> yeah, so, that's, that's a genuine uh, thing that happens. Like, especially in the first month of university, you are bombarded with people. Oh, yeah, names. absolutely. No, it was. I mean, it turned out just, to be a really great moment, but it was just like, no. Exactly. Like thematically, <laughs> um, that was great because it really. Yeah. So, I mean, just to pull back the curtain a little bit, um, when 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 Harold calls him Ethan, I, the player, had misheard the name yeah. and basically and genuinely said it wrong, and I was literally about to edit that mistake out of the podcast when we then recorded this episode before its release yeah and then it was like oh 
No, we should keep that. Like, Actually, that, that's that, hilarious. Yeah. That lines up so well now. Uh, yeah. And it was kind of great. And then I guess something I wanted to talk about then. Um, and, and Ben has set up this mystery now where Harold receives a mysterious sword. And it appears to come from Faustus, who Harold doesn't want to believe is dead and potentially now has some genuine hope that, you know, somewhere out there, Faustus is doing something. But obviously, we don't know for sure. Um, I mean, I'm curious, Ben, how long that had been in the works for you, um, setting up something like that. Uh, it had been in the works for quite some time. I was waiting for waiting for some, some triggers to happen. I, mm. have, I have certain events that I've... I've written and i've got as post-it notes and i've got what the the trigger for, for those events would be and some of them may never happen or i might shoehorn them into something else but mm. uh there are certain and i'm, I'm not going to reveal what these things are but there are, there are certain triggers that like okay now that this has happened i can put this into the world I think now um, we'll move on just to finish the episode with a few audience questions that are sort of not necessarily about episodes in particular, but just some stuff that people want to know. So um, Carrie Ann wants to know, and this is for everyone, which episode have you enjoyed making most so far? And I guess I'll start answering the question. For me, I think it's Revenant Revelries because one, just the events of the episode were really fun and there was some really intense character moments. And then during the edit, I, I got to play around with a lot of cool stuff like um you know i got to play around with the music actually being part of the world and not just something that is there to fill the sound so i, I had to think about how the music would sound you know to our characters and not just um to our audience and i think for me you know as a whole that made it pretty cool yeah um i i really enjoyed revenant revenant revelries and illuminations i mm. had a lot of fun i if it isn't obvious i like role-playing episodes yeah and i like mm. having characters have cool moments and, and interesting conversations and i really enjoyed like ping-ponging harold across the room with different things and uh in the nicest way possible sweeping uh potential across the room with harold's mother and bombarding her with npcs to keep her like on her toes the entire time but then also having like nice character moments outside with harold's sister and mm. like, that was a lot of fun um it it was to peel back the curtain it was so much fun that that episode became two episodes it was going to be one episode mm. longer originally yeah. i just had so much fun with it i'm like well i'm just gonna do more of this because this is working so well let's have more of these character moments yeah i think my favorite one is completely different i i think my favorite one has so far has been the library arc um just the whole thing i thoroughly enjoyed it from um I don't know, like, to me, I resonate a lot with libraries. <laughs> um, I'm a book nerd. I My mum's a librarian, so I grew up around libraries. Um, and just the idea that there was a magical library where books came to life. And I made a friend. I had a monkey book following me for a while. And Orion always keep track of the squid. I don't know. It just, it mm -hmm. has a lot of really great moments for me. And I just enjoyed the combat and the storyline. Um, and yeah, it was just real fun. I think that's been my favourite so far. Um, I think I have probably a couple, but for different reasons. Like, I remember recording the first arc, uh, uh, not Fine Friends, the ones the ones after... Um, orientation Week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Orientation Week. Um, I remember recording Orientation Week and realising then that we had something. So I really loved mm. the, that arc because, like, we that was, like, the first time we, like, play-played knowing we were recording and it worked and mm. it was, like it was solid and it was good and there was stuff going on and um, we were interacting with the world and like slightly stuffing around with Ben because you know all you wanted <laughs> us to do is break into a department and we would just went and bought everything instead and yep. you know just like things like that I think are really great but um, I also agree with you Joe. I think the library there's something about the yeah. idea of a classic dungeon crawl mm -hmm. but that's set at a university and yeah. I get to throw a, a nat 20 fire yep. Yep. at uh, like pile of books yeah like what do you want from me like you know I, you, you can't go past you know critting on something where that thing is vulnerable to the thing you're throwing at it like what are you what yeah. are you gonna do and that was a really cool moment because that was probably the most impactful natural 20 of the campaign so right. far I think even though we were only we're all like what <laughs> yeah Just stunned into and, silence 
it was peak D and D for one yeah. of a better word. Yeah. I mean, that moment was just the peak of D and D. So yeah. I, I actually have a question from Gigster for Ben. Um, is the name Bone and the Librarian a tongue-in-cheek take on Conan the Barbarian? A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Can't just name yeah. a barbarian Conan. Have to find better twists to that. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it would have been too obvious, wouldn't it, for there just to be like, you know, like, like say Gore was just named Conan. Even if we never said the phrase Conan the Barbarian, it would have been too on the nose. Yeah. And I think mm. the fact is that a librarian is so opposite of a barbarian yeah. in, in, in a lot of ways that it, it's just... I don't know. Yeah. Have you ever had a late fee? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but I like, actually I think, but there you go. I think the, um, when, I, when I came up with Bone in the Librarian, I was like, pat myself on the back, day done. This is it. <laughs> I remember you telling me that at ASE, the Australian Science Communicators Conference, earlier this year, and you were very proud of yourself. Paul has a bunch of questions here. Uh, and the first one's for everyone. Um, he's saying, I'm wondering what are the alignments and ages of your characters? Um, so it's kind of interesting because I think Harold, I, he's 22 or 23, somewhere between those two ages is where Harold is. Um, because if you think about the, the human lifespan and the undergraduate to postgraduate progression, that is kind of where he would be in his life. Um, but in terms of alignments, um, I, I, I'm one of these people who doesn't really use alignments in D&D. I like to just play my character. Um, based on their backstory rather than letting their alignment sort of like you can generate a character using all of those elements and the alignment can be really helpful to guide you but for me it's all about his life experience but I think if I was going to try and shoehorn him into one he would probably be like chaotic neutral or probably like chaotic good like I think he he, he isn't af- like he's definitely not lawful like he, he isn't afraid to break the rules but he definitely doesn't want harm to anyone like he 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 wants to make sure that the world is a better place after his actions. It's just, you know, how that happens may be a little chaotic at times, I think. Yeah, I'm the same as Ross. Um, I generally don't... Well, this is the very first character I've ever played, um, but it doesn't feel like she fits into any of the classic alignments, I don't think. Um, I'm kind of approaching it from a point of view of this is her life experience. This is how she would Chaotic react. optimism. Yes, chaotic <laughs> optimism. I love it. Yes, that's perfect. Um, yeah. What was the other part of that question? Ages. How old they were. Oh, yeah. So Meredith is slightly older than Harold, so she's about 26, 27 in my head. If I was to put, trying to think about it on the scale, um, I mean, Potentia's probably neutral on the good, on the lawful to chaotic because she's less lawful than, than her home is, but she's not chaotic enough really to be chaotic. Um, so from a, from a chaos to, uh, to, to lawful, she's probably there. Uh, good to evil. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't put her on a, a, a scale. I don't think we've had enough of her, uh, to really pinpoint her. I, again, it doesn't really impact how I play her, but she's probably like, unlike the other two who are probably more chaotic. Uh, I think she's probably more neutral in, in that sense. Um, so Paul also wanted to know what aspect um, of D&D are you all enjoying the most? Uh, is it combat, role-playing, or getting to be nerdy, or something else? For me, it's just all of those. I mean, D&D is the perfect amalgamation of all of that stuff, and that's why I love it. I'm weirdly, surprisingly enjoying the combat a lot more than I thought I would. I'm really enjoying um, the mechanics of it and thinking about like where I need to be and... Um, how to manage all of that. I love sitting there scribbling in my notebook and drawing little maps of where everybody is. And it's just really fun. I love it. Uh, probably no surprise that I'm a roleplay human to, till the end of time. Uh, and that's something Paul will know uh, as well about me compared to what and when we normally play. Yeah, um, I, I like all, I enjoy all things. I'm particularly fond of roleplaying and being a big nerd. Yeah. I mean, being a big nerd is just, isn't that just what we all are? Like that's, yeah, there's basically. no, being nerdy is just yeah. who we are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, right? D&D just basically has all the things that nerds tend to enjoy in one package. And not just D&D, of course. Like, there are a lot of uh, role-play TTRPGs that you can flavor however you want, and they're all great, um, you know, if, if you enjoy them for that very reason. Yeah. Um, let's let's finish off this episode with a couple of questions from Doug T. Um, so the, and these questions are for everyone. Um, do you have a pre-recording ritual or item that you associate with your characters to help you get in the zone for a session? Um, I can say that I don't um, personally. Um, 
Kate is brandishing an item, which I'll let her describe in a second. Um, I, I don't personally, like, I find uh, I can just sort of drop into Harold whenever I like. And I, it been so long parodying, you know, this kind of thing as a as a as a child that now that I'm doing it as an adult, it's it's it's, it's kind of easy for me to, to do this. If it was a different voice, I think I would probably have some kind of phrase or ritual that I would do. At the start of the campaign, I certainly spent a bit of time before each session, like thinking about it. And now I, I don't so much, I don't think. What about you, Joe? Mine is food. <laughs> <laughs> Um, basically, I before... love that Joe has just worked in. Oh, Meredith has always got snacks. Meredith is always eating snacks so that Joe can eat snacks on the basically, show and it be canonical. I know Doug T in real life, um, and he will attest to the fact that I am always, as a human, uh, eating, <laughs> just snacking. Hmm. Otherwise, I get hangry. Um, so, yeah, I've just kind of woven that in. Um, but that also helps me dial my personality up to 11. Um, and I put on my science presenter show voice and um, mm. off I go. Yeah, I mean, I there's some sort of stuff that lives on my desk when we're playing rather than necessarily being like a ritual per se. Um, like I always have my dice tray with specific dice out to play Potentia as opposed to if I'm playing in the other game um, that I alluded to. Um, I, I always reread my notes from the mm -hmm. previous session just to kind of try and remember roughly where Potential was in terms of headspace um, because she is so sort of wound up in herself. Like it, it's helpful to kind of be like, oh yeah, that's roughly where we were, especially because we don't record every week or so. Mm -hmm. We typically record like once a month. And so I just kind of need that reminder uh, because yeah. I play in other games between times. Yeah. And then on my desk is always a coffee, a water, usually something like a Diet Coke, um, yeah. and, uh, whether I use it or otherwise, I have a tiny little, uh, it's hip flask shaped. It does not actually currently mm. contain anything hip flask related, but it lives on my desk. Um, and it's a alchemist distilled, dis sorry, an alchemist distilled potion of healing, uh, little like, yeah, uh, hip it's flask. It's really cool. It's really cool. I really cool. like that just sort of sits there and that's sort of like my, I kind of have a space layout that helps me to get into the vibe because I do this at a very tiny desk and it's just useful to have kind of, this is the stuff I'm doing right now mm. as opposed to mm. the stuff I'm working on for uni or, or other projects. Yeah, yeah. I will have my DM screen up to the side uh, with my quick notes I need to reference. I have post-it notes that I lay out. I have the, the dice that my brother gave to me when he asked me to be his best man at his wedding. Oh, cute. Um, and when I am editing the podcast, all of that goes away except two post-it notes, which are just the things I need to remind myself to say for the ad reads. <laughs> <laughs> so let's finish off with this question. Um, did the fact that you were planning to record your sessions for the podcast affect the way you designed your characters? And if so, how? For me, sort of, in that knowing she was going to be for a podcast as opposed to just for a game probably meant that I thought a little bit too much about her backstory so I knew that I could play her consistently as opposed to, you know, if you're playing in a normal game, if there's a little bit of idiosyncratic stuff, it's not so uh, so much of a problem. And I also actively wanted to play, uh, once I started having discussions, as I alluded to on the last podcast, last, uh, The Common Room, uh, when I knew we were recording and was thinking about it, um, some friends of mine and I talked about me playing like a trope. So playing the high elf wizard, but trying to find a way to play her differently rather than being just like very much the the trope that you get in in that um, a lot of the time. So yes, but not in a way that is like I actively shaped her backstory for anything. It was more I made it such that I could play her consistently and I played something that I thought would be fun for people who are D&D &D people, but also mm. who aren't. Yeah, I guess I kind of had a similar approach in that I, I made a character that I thought I would enjoy exploring. And in doing that, I hoped that that genuine enjoyment from me would translate into the audience enjoying my portrayal of that character. Um, the one thing I did probably change because I knew it was a podcast is I knew I wanted to play a druid because it's I, 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 I'd never really got a chance to play with that kind of class before. But changing to the Circle of Stars was a very podcast influenced decision because I knew that it being a sort of newer um, piece of the game and also just having a, a very unusual presentation for a druid 
would be a lot more interesting than the classic sort of shape-shifting, um, tree-hugging type of druid, which I think people have seen a lot of already in plenty of other places. Um, for me, when it comes to, to things, it's just, all right, how is this character not going to sound exactly like me? <laughs> how do I do a different version of me? Yeah, for me, I think I could kind of get away with a lot less prep because I was the character who... Um, you know, was kind of there for people who aren't familiar with Dungeons and, Do- and Dragons. I nearly said D- Dungeons and Doctorates. Nope. Anyway. Well, if um, they're not familiar with that, they are now. They are now. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess I could kind of get away with a lot more, a lot less kind of thought about that kind of thing, if that makes any sense. And um, honestly, I don't know that I would have realized, oh, Meredith and I are so similar in so many ways. Um, I don't think I would have like realized that that was a thing I could think about. If that makes any sense. Yeah. 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 I think I, I just, I wanted to play a character who was interesting and was a good person who cared about people and was ridiculously optimistic. That's where Meredith comes from. Tick, tick, gold star success. Hey! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, people have fallen in love with Meredith, which is great because I think that is sort of what she was meant to be for, really. Like, she's, she's supposed so... to be the anchor for our audience, isn't she? I love her so I th- much. I think <laughs> Meredith is the character that people latch onto first. Yeah. Because she is so likable. And then... And then really think they, about it, yeah. They're like, oh, wait, Potentia's amazing, or Harold's amazing. And yeah. like, they start to, like... Mm-hmm. like I, and they always come back to, to Meredith. Meredith as a song that they love. But it's like, Meredith Ooh. is the gateway drug the gateway to the indoctrinate character. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's a great note to end uh, this podcast on. Thank you, folks, for joining me on The Common Room. Thank you for listening. We will be back with another Common Room in another couple of arcs time, basically, is how this is going to go. And again, if you yeah, if you are part of a, a Dungeons and... Uh, I was going to say Dungeons and Dodgers too. If you are part <laughs> of a TTRPG production and you want to collaborate, we're really keen to do that. We actually have one in the pipeline coming up um, beyond the one we just did with Kiralee. And... I'm really excited for that too. And um, yeah, I, I love Dungeons and Dragons. I love TTRPGs. We all do. Um, and we're all keen. So thank you for listening. And um, goodbye from me and goodbye for everyone else. Bye. 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 Bye.